Hi, Chris. Thank you for joining us on Black Ink Cinema's podcast. Um, I appreciate you were a super busy man working for the world's largest movie magazine since 2001. That's correct. Yeah, I feel really old. Thank you for that. <laughs> um, and also hosting your own podcast. Yes, that makes me feel younger. Podcasts. Yeah. That's, what the, that's what the kids are into these days. Yeah, I host the Empire Podcast as well, which is the podcast arm of the world's biggest movie magazine. And uh, yeah, that's a lot of fun. <laughs> on that note, who was the last person you had on in your podcast? Well, I interviewed Shailene Woodley uh, about an hour and a half ago. Oh, wow. Um, and I'm interviewing Seth Rogen tomorrow night. That's hilarious. Yeah, I, uh, I hope so. Otherwise, <laughs> I guess I'm, I'm going to bring nothing to that party whatsoever. Uh, <laughs> it's, it's all on him. Seth, you got to be funny, man, for 20 oh, minutes. I'll well, just there you go. Yeah, I'm just going to turn my microphone off, Seth, and you go. <laughs> He's got the memo now, so uh, he knows oh. what but that laugh of his, uh, 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 I can't what? wait to hear it. So comedic. Like he just sounds funny. He's one of those people that just sounds hilarious. Yes. He probably, he's got funny bones. as they say. <laughs> um, And so how is the pandemic affecting you? And obviously you're still doing your podcast and stuff, but are you able to work normally? Uh, yeah. Yeah. It's been crazy busy for me actually during the pandemic. Um, and, uh, yeah, my workload has increased, uh, at least threefold and I have no idea how the hell that happened and I'm furious about it, but, uh, yeah, it's been, it's been, it's been, it's been good. You know, oh, lots yeah. of stuff for the magazine, lots of stuff for the podcast, lots yeah. of, you know, special podcasts, all this sort of stuff. Oh, that's awesome. Okay. What about yourself? I, it's the same as well. I've been working from home, um, since lockdown. So nothing has really changed apart from four walls that, are driving me mad a little bit but yeah it's the new normal I guess so yeah yeah. here yeah. <laughs> yeah. I'm sure as a as a critic a few of your reviews for films that you were looking forward to have been delayed is there any films that you were looking forward to in the summer that have now been put on hold oh man yeah geez uh it's been it's been absolutely wild in terms of the stuff that's been pushed back so you know by now we would have seen what we would have seen Tenet, which yeah. I was really looking forward to. We would have seen, God, what else? We would have seen Black Widow. We would have seen Wonder Woman 1984. I guess, you know, that's like, I'm focused on the big, whoops. Yeah. I'm focused on the big blockbusters. Uh, that's how I work. Um, yeah, we would have seen loads of, uh, of really interesting blockbusters. Um, uh, Top Gun, geez, Top Gun Maverick would have been out by now. Yeah. We'd get to see Tom Cruise risk his life again. Jeez, that'd been, <laughs> that'd been wild. Where can we find you on the socials? Are you more of a Twitter guy, Instagram? Where are you at? Uh, I'm on Twitter. I'm at Chris Hewitt on Twitter. And I'm at <laughs> the slightly more complex CTAH1976 on Instagram, um, wow. where I'm perhaps less prolific. But yeah, I'm always, I'm always on Twitter. <laughs> okay, cool. So since Black Ink Cinema is all about celebrating Black Cinema in front and behind of the camera, we asked you to select and discuss one of your films. And you chose the iconic deep cover with Jeff Goldblum and Lawrence Fishburne, also known as Larry in this. Tell us, yeah. tell us why. Um, yeah, it's really interesting, isn't it, by the way, that he's Larry in this. Yeah. This is because he, he went... Yeah, because I think it was after this, I think he officially changed his name and wanted to be called Lawrence. So I'm now called Lawrence. Um, I think it was around the time he got nominated for an Oscar for What's Love Got to Do With It. Um, and I think I it was. I still haven't yeah. forgiven him for that. Sorry? I still haven't forgiven him for that. <laughs> <laughs> I can see that. I can see that. Um, 
but yeah, no, he's uh, he's really he's yeah he's really interesting. But he he's had an incredible career up up until that point. You know where he'd obviously been in the apocalypse now, and God, I remember him things like Nightmare on Elm Street three, and I always knew him as Larry Fishburne. And then you know he's in Deep Cover, which I saw when it came out back in Pool oh, Jesus, 1992, 1993. and this is before he became Lawrence, obviously. And yeah. uh, I was just I I loved this film from the the first moment I saw it, uh, and whenever. Um, whenever you guys got in touch and said, would you like to choose a film to talk about? You know, a lot of potential candidates raced through my head. Uh, one of which was Blade. Um, but I think I've banged on by Blade enough (laughs) on other podcasts, uh, over the years. And for some reason, like, you know, there's so many different candidates jostling for position. And for some reason, deep cover just went, Hey, over here, me, deep cover. Hello. You remember me? You love me. And I went, Oh yeah, I do. So, um, (laughs) yeah, it's, it, this is a a tremendous film and really visiting it was really wild and, uh, a bit of an eye opener in, you know, things that I kind of didn't notice or took for granted whenever I first saw it back in 1992, just feel really relevant and really pertinent now. Um, but yeah, it's just, it, this is a cracking, cracking thriller. Uh, and I'm glad you used the word iconic because I kind of feel that not many people know this movie. I mean, I have to be honest. Um, I think I've watched this millions of years ago. And then when you guessed <laughs> it, I was like, I'm sure I have, but watching it, I was like, no, nothing is <laughs> is in there. Yeah. Um, and but it instantly reminded me of Snowfall, uh-huh. which I love. And I feel uh-huh. like, oh, they watched that and that's the basis of Snowfall. Yeah. It was like, yeah. it makes sense now. Makes sense. Everything is, is, is all one great big circle of life, isn't it? Uh, yeah. No, for, for a lot of people, deep cover has gone deep cover. That's, that's the problem. <laughs> it's like, you know, I know I, there's so many people, so many, um, you know, even in, in the world that I, you know, work in film journalism, not a lot of people have seen this movie. And so I'm, I'm constantly saying to people, have you seen deep cover? It's great. And, uh, but yeah, this reawakened my love for it. It's really good. Is really good film. A really good action thriller like just blood and gore gangster slash yeah it was it had a bit of everything in there um and I like the fact that this was his role after Boys in the Hood so it's completely different quite like the fact that Lawrence Fishburne was able to yeah take a leading role after that yeah absolutely I mean if you look at his career um you know it had been a bunch of supporting roles up until that point he's a really good actor um and um Whenever Boys in the Hood, you know, hit big and broke out, um, I think he was one of the people who really got a bump up from it. And I was, um, I was doing, you know, some research, minimal amount, um, and I discovered an article in the LA Times from 1992, uh, which was about the making of Deep Cover. And you know, it's really fascinating because they talk about how they talk about uh, how initially it was about a white cop. Yeah. Uh, and it's based, it is based on a true story. It's based on a real cop and a real, his, his real experiences. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah. I thought, I thought, I thought, I thought no. although I don't think he's credited in the, um, in the, in the movie itself. And then they decided to, you know, they the producers and, you know, they got together and they decided, you know, in the, in the wake, and it's a bit cynical, obviously, but in the wake of the, of the success of, you know, films like do the right thing and boys yeah. in the hood, they decided to, Oh, maybe we can aim this <laughs> at the, at the black uh, film goers market. And so they decided to, to switch the, the race of the lead character. Um, 
and uh, you know they they got Bill Duke on board to direct. And but what's really interesting in the article, they talk about you know they they didn't really have a lot of options at the time in terms of bankable actors who yeah. could have anchored a movie like this. Mm. And so they offered the role to Denzel, uh, apparently. Um, you know, it's a no-brainer, I guess. Yeah. Uh, and then he said no. And then they were like, well, okay, we've got maybe two choices left. And one of those two choices was Larry Fishburne. And uh, he's he'd never been... He'd ne- this is his first major lead role in yeah. the movie. And he just absolutely smashes out of the park. Very grounded and, you know, very focused. And he carried it really well. Yeah, he brings incredible depth to this guy, you know, because I think on the page, you know, this is your kind of standard, almost cliched journey in a way, isn't it? It's, it's uh, you know, it's a, it's a cop. It's a guy who is driven to become a cop because of stuff that's happened in his past. In this case, you know, we see his dad getting, you know, shotgun to death outside a, a convenience store in the first first three minutes <laughs> uh, on Christmas no less I mean oh, Jesus you know happy Christmas yeah, yeah. it's crazy um, and then obviously he's driven to become a, a cop after that and you know by the, by the sense not necessarily of wanting to do the right thing you, you, you sense but also but, you know he's driven by this this traumatic incident that happened in his life and then obviously as he goes you know undercover he gets in and over his head yeah um and this is something we've seen loads and loads of times in so many movies over the years. Um, but there's something, there's a different, there's a different edge to it in Deep Cover. There's a, there's a really interesting uh, frizzle as well, yeah, which I think. He becomes a thing he's trying to avoid, uh, which was precisely. interesting. <laughs> um, yeah, precisely. And the other, the other surprise act for me has to be Jeff Goldblum. I was not expecting that performance and I always I personally found the casting quite interesting because he was he wouldn't be my go-to I don't know like gangster I don't know like shady kind of uh it was very interesting and by the end of it he was like fully immersed in this crazy mob life um yeah hilarious and he's quite comedic but you're supposed to be taking him serious well, yeah, it's really interesting because, again, Goldblum is one of those guys who he'd been around forever. I mean, both he and and uh, Lawrence Fishburne, uh, although I interviewed him once and he told me to call him Fish. I was <laughs> like, oh, hello, sir. And he went, call me Fish. I was yeah. like, yeah, okay, I'll call you Fish. Of course you will. Um, but uh, he and uh, Fish, I'm going to call him Fish from now on, he and Fish kind of came up around the same time. They're both in movies towards the end of the 1970s. You know, uh, Fishburne's in Apocalypse Now, Goldblum's in the likes of Death Wish, Blink and You'll Miss Him, and you probably shouldn't even watch that film, it's reprehensible. But, um, you know, he's in Invasion of the Body Snatchers, and then they, they're both kind of bubbling under in the 80s. Goldblum became more of a star, I think, because he was in things like The Fly and, yeah. you know, uh, and whatnot. But this is before Jurassic Park. This is one year before Jurassic Park really kind of puts him over the top. Then he gets Independence Day and stuff. Uh, so I don't know that you know. You know, you, you probably know Jeff Goldblum as the kind of weird, esoteric kind of hey, oh, I'm, uh, I'm Jeff Goldblum yeah. guy. Oh, ah, ah you know, uh, and that's kind of who he is. But he's also a really, really great actor, and I love him in this movie. He's fantastic. You know, he kind of captures the sort of the the darkness of this guy. Can we take a second as well to mention the fact that he's called David Jason in this? Yes, yes, only for <laughs> horses uh, from the British <laughs> out there that will uh, will get that. It's you could have written it, really. 
I mean, why couldn't he have been called? So he's David Jason, <laughs> and why couldn't you know? Because because Fishburne's character, whenever he becomes an undercover cop, he has to, do, or whenever he becomes undercover, yeah. he takes an assumed identity. Why couldn't he have been Nicholas Lindhurst? I mean, it yeah. could have been just the two of them together, <laughs> you know. Great. Yeah, it would have been cushy. Absolutely cushy. You know, selling, you know, secondhand LPs down the market instead of doing drugs. That's what I want to see. <laughs> they were basically on the same path. Yeah, it was. And in the same way. It's fine. It's pretty much the same thing. Yeah, yeah. I want to, that's what I want to see. I want to see Only Fools and Horses reboot with Lawrence Fishburne and David Jason. <laughs> David Jason, Lawrence Fishburne and Jeff Goldblum. That'd be, that'd be incredible. Oh my God, they should do a cameo. That'd be brilliant. Oh my God, they should, shouldn't they? That'd, <laughs> that'd be great. But that that always that always uh, threw me because you know, right from the many, right from the beginning when I saw Deep Cover, it was like, oh, this guy's called David Jason. That's funny. Um, but you know, now I know that whenever you write any script, that and you name a character, you know, whatever it is, you know, say someone you know said, oh, I've got a script and I want to call a character called Chris Hewitt. Yeah. Um, you have to clear that. You have to like, you have people in your production company who have to ring up around and go, Oh, Hey, Hey, Chris Hewitt. Are you, we got a character in this movie. Yeah. Yeah. He's a, he's a drug dealer. Yes. Don't want him to call us. Okay. Okay. We'll have to change the name. So did they only call American David Jason's? (laughs) They must've been like, yeah, that's fine. That's totally fine. Knock yourselves out. Yeah. It's cool. Yeah. (laughs) yeah he's a lawyer but he's a drug dealer okay yeah i'm totally fine with that yeah it just it was quite confusing and he had some amazing one-liners in there as well uh like some of the things was coming out with that scene in the limo yes yes (sighs) had me in stitches like i couldn't stop laughing it's tremendous. He has he has one of the best uh, deliveries of the word motherfucker. Yeah. Barbecue uh, shrimp, motherfucker. <laughs> motherfucker! <laughs> and it just goes on for, for ages as well. Uh, I, I just love him in this movie. I mean, I think he's, he's, he's funny initially. And then as he becomes increasingly deranged, he's yeah. less funny. But there are things like, you know, when he's... he's um, sitting with his wife who we barely see but he's going you know i always quote this line i'm gonna have my cake and eat it too uh and i said in that way and there's there's some great line readings in this i mean i love the way that uh, fish my good friend fish my old pal fish you know right at the end you know when he does the you know he suddenly clicks back into being a cop and he starts saying you have the right to remain silent but but i also love the bit whenever the uh the good cop (laughs) taft is dying and yeah. David, David shoots him and Fish goes oh you shouldn't have done that David you shouldn't have done that and it's like I'm, that's a line reading that always sticks in my head it's just yeah, yeah. beautiful that scene when he's like oh no I was playing bad but I'm actually a good cop but this is I draw the line here <laughs> <laughs> this good man um, I was like yeah. oh, a little bit too late but okay we'll, we'll go with that precisely um, this is where you draw the line yeah this yeah. is where I draw the line this, this right here. <laughs> um, the other, his voiceover as well, carrying throughout um, the movie, was a little bit monotone for me, but I get it. It was supposed to be serious and very noir-esque, like yeah. detective from back in the day uh, vibe that I was getting. I don't know, is that, is that what you got? Yeah, yeah, I think so. I think there's there's definitely tinges of of film noir in this. There's, it doesn't really have a femme fatale. Mm. I think the the female lead in this is underdeveloped, um, and it's very much about the relationship between 
David Jason and Nicholas Linter. No, David Jason and and Russell. It's very much about them. <laughs> but yeah, there, there are all sorts of little visual cues or kind of throwbacks. It's beautifully shot, by the way. I mean, it just looks gorgeous. It's drenched in reds and blues. And, you know, it's just oh, it's a lovely, lovely looking movie. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's got, it's got a real kind of film noir vibe to it. I'd forgotten, actually, that it is narrated, that, yeah. you know, we hear Russell's thoughts. And it's kind of really interesting. Like, towards the end, he kind of starts speaking in poetry. Yes. Iceberg Slim, I think. I think it's, um, I remember looking it up as well. I've, I've, hang on, I've lost the, the name of the... Uh, the yes, poetry from Iceberg Slim. Yeah, Iceberg Slim. And then I think there's also something as well from um, from a novelist called Donald Goines as well. So he's quoting yeah. some poetry from from him also. It's just, it's it's wonderful though. It's just the way, you know, it, it, it yeah, because he's, he's just the way it throws you in and he's very, very aware of, you know, I think Russell in this movie is a very conscientious guy. He's very, very aware of, you know, his history. And yeah, the way, the, the, the way he throws it in is, is quite interesting, I thought. It is. And I guess like because of his history, do you think that both of them seeing tragedies and people die when they were younger, um, Jeff Goldblum's character and Lawrence's, that it's then allowed them to push boundaries or want to push boundaries and but also be on the right side of the law for Lawrence Fishburne's side? Like he probably didn't want to become like his dad, but it feels like it's come full circle in terms of getting himself in a bit of trouble. Yeah, no, I think it's really interesting the way that um, he kind of becomes corrupted. Yeah. Um, because he, he has that almost get-out-of-jail-free card, <clears throat> which is, I'm doing this for the right reasons. I'm doing this for the right reasons. Uh, because he sees, he's very aware as a cop and also as someone who had a, you know, his father was, was a, a thief and a junkie and he died very, very young as well. He's very aware of the damage that crime and poverty and drugs has wreaked upon the black community where he grew up and obviously now in, in LA as well. And so he has this kind of, this lie that he tells himself when he's a when he's an undercover drug dealer, essentially, yeah. that he's pushing this poison back onto the streets and he's pushing this poison into people's bodies. But he tells himself that he's not really doing it. Mm. And he tells yeah, it's not me. I'm an undercover cop. I'm doing this for the, yeah, the greater good. I'm doing this for the right reasons. And then gradually he just gets in too deep and the, and the, the boundaries blur almost imperceptibly. Mm. And then suddenly, you know, it's at the point where, you know, as he even says towards the end, I thought I was a, a, a drug dealer pretending to be a cop. But uh, now I realize, no, I, I used to, I thought it was a, cop pretend to be a drug dealer but yeah. now I realise I'm a drug dealer pretending to be a cop yeah. um, which is really really interesting I think yeah and, and quite quite sad <laughs> for him I almost thought that the guy you know the random villain that's just a villain to be a villain the Terminator yes. spandex wearing um, guy that's going around killing people literally just for fun I almost thought that he was an undercover cop because he just had this air of like I can do whatever I want wild wild west and get away with it yeah i think he's there to kind of show that this is what russell could be if he didn't have a little voice in his shoulder because he does i mean he has the badge and stuff and he has this you know yeah. but he has mainly a voice in his shoulder going this isn't right this isn't right this isn't right and you know i think that guy ivy the one he kills in the in the, uh, in the toilet yeah. um is yeah he's basically this is what you could become 
you know, this is what you could, this is what you could be. Um, yeah. And so he steers away from that. So even when he, he kind of gives into the drug dealing, yeah. he's not a street level dealer. No. He is at the beginning, but then gradually as Carver, his boss basically says, you know, get yourself a, a, a nice apartment. You have loads of money now. And, you know, and he has, um, you know, he has lots of expensive taste in art and fineries and all that sort of stuff. Yeah, and he's, um, you can see the person who was writing it just watched Terminator because there was a few lines in there. <laughs> Every time he killed someone, he would just say something, hasta la vista, baby, I'll be back. And it was just like, this is, this is serious. You know, you yeah. kind of makes it funny after just doing such a horrific act. Yeah, yeah, I'll be back. <clears throat> yeah, do you see that movie? Rent it in your local video store. Except yeah. now, when you're watching this movie, you have to kind of stop and explain to people what a video store is. Like, oh, and they're like, what? What yeah. film just didn't appear on the telly or in the cinema? No, yeah, it was, was a thing. Yeah, picture this. Now, it was a, it was a building. It was a building. You used to go into it. There were people there. They would all go around. <laughs> and movies were on the shelves, and you would take them home, and they would be on tapes. Yeah. And then, oh, God, yeah. Can you imagine? Kids these days have no idea. <laughs> um, <Another born. laughs> a reviewer once described the film as like Michael Mann meets a Spike Lee movie. Is that how would you, how you would perceive it? That's interesting. Mm. I think, yeah, I can kind of see what they're going for there. Kind of. Uh, except, you know, heat is a bit more ambitious in terms of, of in terms of his running time and in terms of the the, the key relationship between crook and cop. Um, I can kind of see that. Mm. And, you know, it's certainly a movie, you know, I don't, I read that article in the, uh, in the LA times and it was around the same time and the producers were very upfront. They, they said they didn't necessarily want this to be directed by, you know, uh, uh, by a black director that you no, know, it wasn't top of their wish list. Yeah. But gradually, as he started to recalibrate it, they thought it might be interesting. That's one of the things I think is really interesting about this movie uh, is that Bill Duke, yes. who went on to, you know, people will know as, a, as an actor, loads of great stuff, you know, Predator and Commando and things like that. Yeah. Um, he's a tremendous, tremendous um, uh, actor. <laughs> really menacing, but also yeah. really, really, you know, you can be, you can play sweet. Yeah. Um, he's tremendous. I don't know uh, if anyone listened to this has seen the Steven Soderbergh movie, The Limey. Uh, if you haven't, it got a Blu-ray release, uh, re-release last year. Okay. It's tremendous. It has one of my favorite moments in movie history, which is uh, where Terrence Stamp is playing a, uh, well, a Cockney. He's the Limey of the, of the title. And Bill Duke is a kind of DEA agent, something like that. And he's in his office. And Terrence Stamp bursts into his office and goes on this rant using loads of cockney rhyming slang like apples and pears stairs all this sort of stuff and he's just going on this rant for about two minutes mm. and he finishes finally and bill duke calmness personified <laughs> says one of my favorite lines in the history of movies which is there's just one thing i didn't understand the thing i didn't understand was every motherfucking word you just said <laughs> like americans and the word motherfucking is like honestly <laughs> That, if it's not in their vocabulary, then it's not a sentence. Like, I don't understand. Precisely. It's like, you know, they're, they're very good at saying, very Brits, good. we're not good at saying motherfucker. No. We're not. 
something. Doesn't come naturally to us, does it? You know, there's another word that comes naturally to us, uh, you know, but I'm not going to say it on on this podcast or (laughs) boundaries, but it comes very naturally to Brits. But, you know, we can't say, we can't, I couldn't get away with going, motherfucker. (laughs) Could you? There's a few others that I'm sure us Brits would use, but. uh, Yeah. Yeah, I'm sure. Yeah. Precisely, but uh, but yeah, but to go back to the idea of, of of Bill Duke is you know he was um he, you know he'd been directing on and off. He'd made a couple of films. Um, he made a couple of films after this, including Sister Act Two, Back in the Habit, which is I no idea. That's huge. Um, <laughs> I, I love you know I love Sister Act, and I was just like, you know, deep cover Sister Act. Okay, yeah, I see the coloration there. It's um, it's a hell of a double bill. Yeah, that is. Why not? I'm not I, sure which one's a shot, which one's a chaser, but you go for it. <laughs> I think, oh yeah, it depends on what kind of night you want, to be fair. Depends which way you want it, you want it to go. Sure. <laughs> yes. I think them having a black, changing the character to Lawrence mm. Fishman, a black actor, and then having a black director, I think definitely changed the tone of the movie. You see, or you hear Jeff Goldblum, especially his character say a lot of things like, I don't know why I'm obsessed with like black culture or black things. Mm-hmm. Um, he cheats on his wife with a black woman. Um, there just seems to be a few random lines that he has. And there's a conversation between him and Lawrence's character, um, which I think obviously wouldn't have happened if they hadn't changed the race of the mm. Lawrence's char- um, character. Yeah, no, I think you're absolutely right. I think Bill Duke came in and although, again, I read in an interview with him around the time that he said he wasn't necessarily interested. And you know, this is a, absolutely something I've, heard, I've experienced over the years, uh, speaking to a lot of you know black filmmakers, is that, you know, you can, it's very easy for them to be almost pigeonholed as yeah. what we only make films about the black experience, quote unquote. And he said, I'm not really interested in that in this interview going back, I think this is 1992. It may even have been the same one. This is a really good article, by the way, check it out. I got all my information from that article. <laughs> Sounds good. It's a great article. And he, he says, I'm interested in making films about the American experience. Um, so he wasn't, he said he wasn't necessarily interested in completely kind of recalibrating the script to reflect the fact that suddenly his lead right, was a yeah. black guy. That said, there are things that are in this movie that I think could only come from a black filmmaker yeah. uh, that I think are really, really interesting. There's a scene, there's a scene about halfway through when David Jason and Russell are getting to know each other and they're you know getting in a little bit deeper into the, the, the drugs trade. Yeah. And you know, you've established already, as you said, that, you know, Jeff Goldblum's character is, he has this thing, he has this thing for black culture. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that, that I think, you know, almost, you know, it's almost as if it feels a little illicit for him, a little naughty for him. Yeah. yeah. But he, there's a really weird scene where he's pushing Russell's buttons yeah. using language that is kind of racially charged and racially stereotyped and and Russell stands up to him and goes you know you don't you say that that stuff to me and I think it's really really interesting and then of course you have the the kind of the the the, the bookends of the of the movie is the Charles Martin Smith character um with a group of you know the, the procession of of black cops that he's trying to recruit he's trying to find someone who has the right stuff yes and his question to 
elicit a response from those you know those potential uh, recruits is yeah. wild um and speaks a lot about white privilege and, you know, the, the feeling of, you know, the people, if people of power were able to say that word with impunity, knowing that it would push buttons and, and provoke. It's really interesting. I, think. I felt like it really set the tone. Um, I wasn't expecting that. And he was so straight faced as well. Like, what's the difference between a black man and the N word? Um, mm-hmm. And the different reactions. And I felt like it was a lose-lose situation anyway, however you were going to answer it. But he was trying to get, he obviously wanted an answer that would fit the person who can handle being provoked and pushed whatever undercover. But at the same time, it's like you've inadvertently created, you've turned the black man by using him to kind of, for your own, to profit, you know, to push drugs on the street. You've created, you've made him become the thing that you're trying to say he's not, or he doesn't want to be, um, Mm -hmm. which I found quite interesting. And that agent, he is, yeah, he represents a lot, (laughs) to be fair. He really does. He keeps, he says several times, doesn't he, that I am God. Yes. And I think that's, you know, that, that really does speak a lot to, again, the abuse of power and, you know, the, the, the fact that, you know, you know, ultimately, you know, Russell, he does play the system and he does kind of win at the end. He has a, a nice victory and he gets to, he gets to say that that's line back to him. Um, win though. I wasn't expecting that. No, absolutely. Used to seeing that happen at the end. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it was interesting because you get a sense that uh, I, I don't know whether it was a reshoot or not. I'd love to talk to Bill Duke about this movie yeah. one day, and you know, get, you know, because um, and I'd, I'd forgotten about it. I mean, as much as I've seen this movie, I've seen it maybe half a dozen times over the years, but uh, I'd forgotten that it ended that way. I've, I've, it always ended for me with Taft dying and with David dying and yeah. with the cop cars coming in and ending in that really kind of bleak way. Yeah. And the fact that it gives. Fish, my good friend Fish, my old pal Fish. You know, it, <laughs> keep rubbing it. it gives, fine. I keep rubbing it in. You know, I met this guy. I met him once. We spoke for 15 minutes. <laughs> fine, it was years ago. <laughs> We're oh, like that. Counts. Counts. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But in fact, I've just got a text from him there now. Yeah, precisely. Yeah, let's meet later on. We're socially distanced, Fish. Come on, we can't do it. Um, but yeah, the, the fact that it gives him a win. At the end, that he gets to stick one, you know, he gets to, you know, put his middle finger up to, to power and privilege at the end. Whilst also, and I really love this little kind of detail, you know, kind of just casually mentions that he siphoned off a couple of million of, <laughs> of drug money for himself. Yeah, love that. I was really impressed with that. I was like, yeah, damn straight after they've put you through all of that, uh, you better get something out of it. Um, yeah. I think he just realized how rigged the game is. So um, just thought, hmm. <laughs> I, I did think that was a bit flawed because I was like, where did he hide the money at, at what point? Because he just killed <laughs> Jeff Goldblum's character. He was holding yeah. this one on the floor. The sirens seemed like they were about a couple of minutes away. So I was like, how and where did he stash two mil? Because that's a skill yeah. that we all need to learn, clearly. It really is. It's, this stuff always trips me up whenever I see things in uh, in movies about people, you know, like cops, you know, corrupt cops, cops who are on the take and it's like, oh, I've squirreled away. Here's a, here's a half a mil for yourself, you know. Well, how do you hide that money? How do you launder that money? <laughs> exactly. Like, how did you, doesn't make sense. And I'm such a logical person. I'm like, that doesn't, no, no. Yeah, yeah. I think, I think that he, um, 
I think there's a line that suggests that he and David took it out of the fan before they went to the docks. But then wasn't David trying to like drive off in the van? Because they, they, they still had loads of money in the van, but they, they skinned a little off the top of themselves. Oh, okay, right. Okay. Thank you for clearing that up. Well, you know, it's rainy day <laughs> stuff, right? <laughs> you know, have a cup of milk, just knocking around, walking around money. That's what it is. Okay. I see. I see. Got you. So what do you think by them having that question or Lawrence Fishburne answering it in the way that a N-word is somebody who would answer that question? Mm. What did you think he meant by that? Yeah, it's really interesting because it's it's either way, it's derogatory, isn't it? But I think he what he means is, what he's saying is what you think to the Charles Martin Smith character. The Charles Martin Smith character wants someone obviously who will not fold under questioning, who won't grab him, who won't pull him across a desk or threaten to punch his face on, uh, face in, or who won't just freeze as the first cop does. Yeah. Um, you know, and he's basically saying, you have a very low opinion of, of black people, essentially, but I'm not going to play your game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's what I'm, that's essentially what I'm doing. And if, if, if I were to answer that question, if I were to dignify that with response, then I would be playing into your own, um, your own kind of perceptions of what that is and your own prejudices. Yeah. I think that's what, I think that's what he's saying with that. No, no, totally. Um, and I think we kind of got that from how he handled himself in that situation. It's like clearly the best person for this job. Yeah. Also, there was um, the gay henchman, uh, <laughs> which is part of the mobsters. I found his character probably the most hilarious out of the lot because he was squirmish. He's supposed to be like this, hench- you know, this right-hand man to this infamous scary guy from South America and you're like screeching when he's beating up the guy. (laughs) And I was just like, he's, he's rubbish at his job. He's not doing a very good job of um, intimidating anyone. Yeah. No. So the, the the little, the little fella gopher. Yeah. I don't know why I roughly did that height. Um, yeah, he he was interesting to me. I kind of wondered watching it around this time because it's been a few years now since I since I saw the film last. Yeah. I wondered if Gopher and Felix Barboza, who's kind of the main bad guy, yeah. um, were in a relationship it's of some kind, maybe. But um, but then Felix, whenever he has that game, a sinister game with David where he's trying to slap yeah. his hand, yeah. uh, uses a couple of, again, slurs and epithets against gay people. So I was like, oh, maybe he does, but maybe he's, you know, maybe he's just self-hating. But uh, it could be uh, a tactic as well. Like, yeah, precisely. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, he, he's, he's really interesting. And the fact that, but I think the fact that he, goes to work for David and and Russell immediately. Like, why is he there and so concerned as well? Like he's part of the crew. And I was like, this is he's not someone to be trusted, guys. I don't know. I'm not I'm not part of the game, but I can see he's not someone you should uh, have around, clearly in no. himself. Yeah, absolutely. No, this guy will betray you. But he's so sweet. He's so he's such a lovable, lovable guy. And I love the fact that he's squeamish. I mean, this is one of the things that sets this movie apart is the way that it kind of constantly subverts your expectations in terms of what the characters do and the way they behave. And, you know, part of that is because Fishburne and Goldblum are really interesting actors, really idiosyncratic 
but I love that guy. He's um, so he's Gopher in the in the film. His name's Sidney Lassick. He's sadly no longer with us. But I love the fact that you know, just you see all the sort of wanton violence movies all the time, and everyone's into it. Everyone in the room is like a psychopath. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I've never seen a reaction like that, and I <laughs> I rewound it like a few times. Like, is he being? Is he part of this? Or I thought maybe he was just in the bar and just happened to be dragged in, and now it's like, no, he's he's part of the crew. This is uh, yeah. Yeah. This doesn't like violence. That's he doesn't like violence. Listen, you know, if I was in a room and someone was being beaten around the face with a with a pool cue until bits of everything came out of their watsits, I mean I'd be I'd be like, No, no thank you. I'm <laughs> I'm done. I'm gonna I'm just gonna head out now. I'm not yeah. Really not already, yeah, precisely. And also you've you've ruined his suit and you've ruined the pool cue. <laughs> and you can't even say anything. You just have to like take it. That's not good. It's not good. So yeah, that's that's much more realistic. I like that. I like that character. Also, we had a little introduction to Snoop Dogg, the music. Um, how important did you think the soundtrack was for um, yeah. cover as well? Because there were so many tracks in there and I was like, oh, who sampled that? <laughs> I've heard this before, but I was like, not from this song. I did feel like one of those kids. It was terrible. It was really bad. <laughs> He's like, oh, that's where that came from. Oh, yeah, okay. I hate that because I, I pride myself in being like, oh, I know the originals. Like, oh, that's a cover, that's a cover, and I was like, yeah, really yeah. No, I think it's really, it's really good. I mean, I, I um, I, I stayed behind. I stayed behind. I watched <laughs> the um, I watched the credits right up to the end because I, 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 I wanted to see some of the songs and who they were credited to. And I, I have to say. You know, this movie should be famous because it it has the words introducing Snoop Doggy Dog <laughs> at the I think end. That alone uh, should win something just for that. Now, now look where we are. He's uh, he's doing adverts for a money supermarket and whatnot, and it all started here in Deep Cover. Just eat from Deep Cover to just eat. Just eat. Just eat. That's it. Couldn't remember what it was. Just it eat. Was just, that's it. Because I had to double take when I saw the advert. I was like, wait, what? How much did they pay him? That's like (laughs) the coolest advert ever. (laughs) Tell me, come on, Snoop, you must still be getting some deep cover royalties, right? (laughs) You don't need to do just eat adverts. What's going on? Honestly. Money's Um, green. Money's green. I'll take it. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, the soundtrack's really, really great. And uh, the score is also really, really cool in this movie. It is by Michel Colombier. Mm-hmm. And it just, it, it feels very, very cool and very, very, I think, kind of unlike other scores from film, you know, crime films from around the, the, late, the early 90s. Yeah. You did touch upon something earlier, which I'm surprised that I didn't bring it up, um, was the lack of development for the female characters. Yeah. It feels like a very, like very much a boys club <laughs> watching this. Like we only care about the guys. Ladies are just an additional, like the, the lady who works with the artifacts, uh, the black woman, I don't, she just seems high all the time. And then the yeah. other, I think she's Latino, Hispanic lady. He ODs in his apartment with the little kid. Oh, God, the little kids. That was just like, <laughs> that relationship melted my heart it was like so sad at the end I nearly shed one tear yeah. um, oh, just just one tear just one, one tear just one. that's that's all I had in that's, <laughs> that's all you're getting sorry I've yeah. just got one tear um, yeah, just all, and the wife as well she just uh, Jeff Goldblum's wife seemed very oblivious and just let him do whatever he kind of wants like there were 
no one was developed. None of the female characters were developed at all. Yeah, I have to say that's that's very very sad. That's very symptomatic of movies. <laughs> it is of movies like this uh, that yeah. uh, very often female characters are are an afterthought. My colleague at Empire, uh, Helen O'Hara, uh, sometimes has a <laughs> has a theory that. Um, female leads in movies like this exist only so that audiences won't think that the two male leads are, are in a relationship. Oh, yeah, I, it, it did feel like a filler. It just, it did feel like, no, no, guys, they're... Yeah, and... Yeah, <laughs> which is which is kind of strange, but yeah, I, I, can, I can see that. I can see, I can see studio heads going, hang on a second, wait, you know, panicked studio heads in the early 90s yeah. going... <laughs> yeah, you know, we need a woman in here. We need a woman in here. Oh my God, get a woman in here! But she's she's not developed, and she's she's so uh, Betty is the the name of the the main character, um, the main character, uh, and she's underdeveloped to the point that whenever Russell turns to David and goes, "If you hurt her, if you hurt her hair in her head, I'm going to kill you, David." You go, really? You've slept with her once. <laughs> when she turned up at the end I was like guys it's really not that deep like how did it it's a hookup it's that's all it is yeah yeah it's casual let's not put our lives on the line here yeah I mean I, I don't know whether he was just he was just what he wanted her for her masks I think that's, <laughs> what it, that's all that's all it was masks did he no, no, he, no, he should have had the, at the end, it should have been him and David in those masks <laughs> doing the heist. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I'm pretty disappointed in the lack of care. Needs more masks, but this is pre superhero movies, I guess. So nowadays. Yeah, to be honest with you. Yeah. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, no, she's, uh, she's just kind of, she's a good actress, uh, Victoria Dillard, but not, yeah. not a great character i would say um no you know and they also get one of those really cliched horrible early late 80s early 90s sex scenes where you're kind of almost expecting everything to be in slow motion and <laughs> it's it's kind of weird where one character takes her top off and then you know for a bit of gratuitous nudity and then in the very next scene as they're you know making love they're wearing clothes again <laughs> yeah that's that makes total sense i love how it the, the build-up's always so awkward it just feels like oh it's gonna be another five minutes before anything happens isn't it like <laughs> it's like come on guys <laughs> let's wrap yeah. Cut to the chase, cut to the chase cut to the chase so if you had to um direct people to watch a clip of this movie to entice them to watch the movie what clip would it be and why? Mm, okay. Yeah, that's a good question. That's a very good question. Um, I really like the scene. Oh, there's a number of good scenes, but I really like the scene where uh, Felix Barbosa is hitting Jeff Goldblum on the hand uh, in that sort of horrible kind of torture game that's going on there that's really interesting and i kind of i think that maybe sums up the movie um mm. in a way and you get to see sadly fish isn't that involved fish my good friend fish uh, <laughs> fish isn't that involved in it sadly but uh yeah there's there's a there's yeah that one i say would probably be the the main one i think for me it would be the, the scene in the limo 
that chase. Oh, the um, giving a little bit too much away, but I feel like that just that's all you need to see, and you'll you'll be satisfied. You'll be you'll be wanting more. Yeah, it's true. You got a bit of action there. You got Jeff Goldblum going, motherfucker. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. You got a you got a bloke being thrown into traffic, and then um, I, yeah, I really need to watch this again in slow motion. And then <laughs> a dummy, a really bad dummy, being hit by a car. My God, this is what I love about like the eighties, nineties movies because the, oh God, some of the fight scenes or the action sequences are so bad, but they're good yeah. because they're so bad. If that makes any sense, yeah. so. You just see the worst dummy being thrown and you're just like, yeah. I'm going to pretend I didn't see that. You just have to accept it. Yeah, some, some colleagues of mine at Empire a few years ago did a thing where they, um, they would freeze frame bad stunt doubles. <laughs> and so like you'd be having Roger Moore or Eddie Murphy or people like that in 80s movies and they, you know, they go something, Eddie leaps into frame. <laughs> <laughs> you freeze frame and then, oh, well, that's not Eddie Murphy in the next shot. <laughs> that's not Roger Moore. That's a man with a bad wig. And it's just shiny plastic, pretty, pretty bad shiny plastic. So what would you give this film out of, out of five? Oh, I, honestly, I, I, I love this film. I think it's, it's tremendous and deserves to be rediscovered. So, you know, I think it'd be a bit, I don't know, it's, it's probably not entirely deserving of a five, mm-hmm. but I'd like to go in that direction anyway, just because, you know, it's, there's a reason why it popped into my head whenever you guys said, think of a film. I went, oh, okay, that's interesting. Because usually whenever someone does that, says that to me, think of a film or, you know, what sort of movies have you been on? Even earlier on when you said to me, what films have, you know, have you missed this summer? And my mind went blank. It was like, yeah. there's so many. So many. There's so many. But deep coverage just went, hey, Chris, remember me? And uh, so I really liked this film. And I, I, first time I saw it back in 1992 and seen it again for this, it was like, you know what, Chris, you were right. Chris, you 1992, you were right. And I'd like to validate your choice. I have to but say yeah. thank you for making me rewatch it um, because it's it's now at the forefront and I can't. It's kind of covered how I saw Lawrence Fishburne for a very long time, um, <laughs> what he did to my girl Tina. But um, <laughs> yeah, so I appreciate that. I'll take that. I mean, he's done a lot of good in movies since. Okay, yeah, no, so because I think I watched that when I was the like quite young, so it kind of traumatized me. And I couldn't, I just couldn't separate the two. I was just like, he's Ike. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We do not like Ike. That's, that's for sure. But uh, yeah, what about the Matrix? You must like him in the Matrix, right? Oh, I mean, yeah. I mean, the Matrix is an absolute G. Uh, All right. Okay. Yeah. What about uh, Event Horizon? Pardon? Have you seen Event Horizon? I haven't. All right. Well, how do you, how do you, how do you fare with horror films? Oh, I love horror films. I'm cool. Then watch Event Horizon. Stop, stop doing this podcast immediately. Stop talking to me right okay. now. Right. Go watch Event Horizon. <laughs> That's my homework for tonight. I'm going to watch that. <laughs> um, but Chris, I just want to say thank you so much for taking the time out to speak to Black Ink Cinema. Um, it's been an absolute pleasure. Is there anything that you're doing at the moment that we can catch you on? Uh, yeah, on the Empire podcast as well. So you can read me if you want to do that. Um, where I actually, you know, have time to think about my words. Um, <laughs> in Empire Magazine, the world's biggest movie magazine, we're on sale every month and all good and evil and virtual news agents. And uh, but you can hear me every week if you wanted to do that uh, on the Empire podcast. We're out every Friday, regular episodes, uh, and we have loads of specials and we have a spoiler special subscription. Channel where 
Yeah, well, it's where people can. It's where we talk to directors and and writers of of movies for uh, a long time about their films, and uh, so yeah, I would recommend that. And it's just what is it? Just five a month. Oh, it's fine. It's cool. It's the price of a cup of coffee. Exactly. Well, I just want to say thank you again and wish you the absolute best. And it'll be amazing for you to come and join us at one of our Black Ink cinema screenings. Um, mm-hmm. We're back up and running now. So I'll send over the deets. Amazing. Yeah. And thanks for having me, Rachel. And, uh, and best of luck with this. And uh, and yes, I will be there with a mask. Um, <laughs> with a mask, yes. Not an expensive one that I bought in an art gallery where yeah, I didn't have we'll, we'll, We will be giving some away. So uh, yeah, there you go. We come prepared. <laughs> Excellent. And I'm on board. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> this is the new normal. Yeah. Precisely. But um, thanks again and, and take care. Thank you. Cheers.